Hi, and welcome to the APL show. This is the podcast for notation as a tool of thought. I'm Adam Brotsevsky. I'm Rich Park. And today is a very special day because we have our first guest. Hello. We'll get back to him in a moment. Uh, first, just a couple of uh, announcements, upcoming events. The 19th of June seems to be a very interesting APL day because on the two opposite sides of the globe, there are meetups. There is the Northern California uh, APL group, uh, which have their um, their meeting, and they are going to have a guest from Dialog talking about uh, data input output, and there'll be a discussion there as well. That is on June the 19th at 17 o'clock UTC. And then there is in Tokyo meetup, um, something they call let's talk APLJK and that it is at uh, 10:30 UTC so that actually happens first are they both online they are both online yes so with that out of the way and we have our guest do you want to introduce yourself yeah um hello i'm silas silas Paulson. um i'm work at dialog as part of the interpreter developers mostly working in C, although stumbling around various bits of APL as I discover them. Yeah, so Silas is one of the uh, fairly recently hired interpreter developers. And I suppose, what have you, um, we'll talk about the reason why you're here in a second. What are you mostly, what's, what are you working on recently? Um, Mostly just small works, but um, like bugs. Yeah, bug fixes that people have reported, or, or although I've been kind of, they're mostly kind of edge cases. Like um, there's one looking at recently of doing quad OR of a function as left arguments, and oh, right, yeah, with the defund <laughs> can't return a function and it's trying to. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's oh. funny, there was like an experimental thing long ago, but I don't know if that used quad ORs as the mechanism. Was that a version six? Uh, it was like conference edition. Conference edition, yeah. yeah. I don't believe it was, I mean, I don't, internally there's not really a difference between quad OR, and we haven't explained to the listener what those are. Even. No, I was wondering whether to gloss over that one. <laughs> I don't think yeah. so, because... Um, oh, the idea is that function can return a function, which is already the case in dialog APL, um, but not all functions are equally privileged. Uh, Tradfins, these traditional uh, procedural functions, can actually return functions. Um, I'm not sure if that's a feature or an oversight in its implementation, but I certainly <laughs> use or abuse it, depending on your perspective, on occasion. Um, but even a function like execute, the primitive execute, can also return functions. So if you if you mm -hmm. execute the name of a function that returns that function, and then you can apply that. So occasionally I will write something like open paren, execute, and then some function name variable, close paren, and then an argument. And then it will evaluate uh, 
that function name to the function itself and then immediately apply it. Um, That's uh, a way you could have a bit of a fudge towards an array of functions that you, you you choose which function you want to apply based on some condition that's actually selecting uh, a bunch of names or possibly actual definitions it could yeah. be I, from, I, like a, from an array of, of such things. Yeah. yeah. Adam's thing I, I've seen where you've got a namespace and the functions I feel is better, better mechanism because there you can actually dif differentiate because God, well, um, it's only changed the name class. Um, oh no, we're not talking about uh, an array of quadrivars. We're talking about literally an array of character vectors, ah, where each character vector is the name of a function you've defined previously, or it could literally be the body of a defin or something, I guess. Or even a primitive, because so execute yeah. just evaluates APL code, right? Yeah. So you can you could have um, indexing into the character vector plus minus the symbols plus minus. And then execute that. That gives you an actual plus or minus function that you can then apply. Um, yes, and I, I think that was one of the things you showed, but, um, of why why you can't do a static analysis because yes, it could be a plus or two or something. Yes, the, what comes out there could, doesn't have to have a a, a consistent uh, syntactic class, and APL will completely dynamically just insert that value, whether it's a function value or an array value, into the current expression that we're in the middle of. So. Yeah, if you do, uh, if you select a random character from the character vector plus and two, then and then that whole thing is in parentheses with uh, one and three on the outside. So you, so if it selects the two, you get one, two, three, and if it selects a plus, then you get one plus three, which is four, and, and that's an entirely <laughs> different syntactic structure of your statement, uh, for good or for bad. Um, that said, don't do that, please. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I feel a, a lot of the dynamic is, uh, dynamic things that like they're really nice to some extent, but they're they're really awkward to actually try and implement. And yeah, um, I don't think I've ever used that in production code, but I think I've on, on occasion gotten the function value out from a name where a name name of a function is passed in, and I need to actually apply that function. Um, so that's that's one way to do it. The other way to do it is, of course, using an operator where you pass the function in as an operand. So, um, so yeah, so Silas wanted to come on for various reasons. One is to give like an implementer's perspective sometimes when we talk about things like this. It's pretty interesting. Um, I think we talk about notation as a tool of thought, but the obviously getting that from a concept into reality involves all kinds of, well, sometimes weirdnesses um, that are interesting to explore. But also, as a relatively new APLer, right? This, you say, say you program mostly in C. Is that what you did uh, previously as well? It's like yeah, yeah. Experience I think, in C. I think like the I'd only started APL the the year before. Kind of, I I started at Dialogue, and it was kind of. And even then, it was kind of mostly just a small subset of, of the ones I was familiar with was what I'd use, and it was kind of playing around with it. And, you, you mean like primitive, or like cons, constructs in the language that you were familiar with, or? Uh, yeah, and kind of and there's syntax, uh, various primitives. Um, so kind of, I, I didn't really use a great deal of primitives. Um, so like there, there are some I, I knew and, and kind of, and then, or say the, um, split on 
on spaces one i like i didn't really know why that worked i just knew oh yeah these three characters together give you splitting <laughs> but that's isn't that more like a natural language as well you might use some compound word or phrase that that could even be an idiom in the very real sense of that uh term so the words literally mean something else but you never really thought about it you just use them because you know what it does right? yeah yeah that's, that's quite also, natural i think so but then it's fun to like learn about things later on like even with like you say natural language and stuff you go like uh you either learn that idioms that you never thought of or you learn new meanings for things or um where thing where things come from but yeah so as a as a a relatively new APL, you're navigating the uh, sort of the world of or a APL idiosyncrasies, not just in um, not just in the unique aspects of the language and the syntax itself, but also uh, the terminology used. And you know, we we talk largely about notation, which I guess is mostly about writing things down and using that for thought. But obviously, as people, we have to uh, express concepts to one another, often in more verbose terms. So we need to explain concepts, usually in natural language. And that involves assigning like uh, verbal names for things. <laughs> I've, I've heard about, and that's the whole world. Yeah, about people who use APL and like to use APL who cannot see. Which I found really interesting because for me, a large part of it, uh, in the, the appeal of APL is the visual aspect and skipping the verbal parts. I don't think about the names of the symbols as I use them. I directly associate the symbols with their meaning. Um, and, and also because it's much easier to keep in mind the concept of this of what this symbol does without having an, for example, English words restrict you into an, into a narrower set of users. Yes. Well, I, sense. I suppose, so thank you. Cause we've got so, um, rank and um, a top and kind of things where they have different names and, and kind of having to pick one. Like I, I know I tend to say selfie a lot when I mean both constant and commute yeah the the names um, are more in the way than they do me a service they don't help me to think about what the function yeah. does so and for example um we have a reverse function it's called that um a circle with a vertical bar through it circle style if you have a two element vector um or for that sake a two column matrix then it's also a flipping the two elements Yes, technically speaking, it's the same thing as reversing, but I might not think about it like that. Yeah, and and we all we have it in reduction, so people think of things like sums and products and so on. But sometimes I have pairs of things, and I want to insert a function between them. In which case, a reduction it just inserts the function once between the two elements and it's really an, a type of apply or insert and not so much a reduction. So, uh, 
the if I just associate the slash symbol with this action of putting that function in that position, I don't want to mix in the, any verbal part in that. That said, I, I think APLs have done quite some, uh, put in quite some effort in trying to come up with good names for various uh, concepts and functionalities. Um, well, some sometimes still use obscure terminology. And you you came with some something Silas, that you were looking for, right, and couldn't find figure out. Oh yeah, so kind of. I found it really difficult initially to figure out how to open files and kind of just like, because the terminology is different because it's tying in APL, whereas it's the same idea as kind of file handles from Unix and such as very familiar with, but it, it's, the terminology is different. I'm sure they would have been well aware of file handles that they just not want to call it quad handle because that's just a bit long. <laughs> I, that might it might be a historical reason for this could even um, be. that files were actually well for a lot of things in the, I think APL the terminology might differ from modern day terminology is because APL was there first and I uh, and then maybe the world mo settled on some terminology for some concept but APL had already established the APL community already established their own terminology for it and APL community has tended to be quite um, uh, closed off from the world outside. Yeah, yeah. You, you see that with kind of with, with lots of people, or, or my, my impression anyhow, of lots of people of kind of going that a, APL was the operating system and all you had is kind of a, a terminal but, connecting to a session. And, and APL actually introduced files as a novel concept. Um, really? I'm not saying that APL was the first system to to have the concept of files, but on the systems that people were using, it the, it wasn't a given thing that, oh, well, there's an operating system below, a file system below, and you just go and deal with files. Every Every programming system available had to implement a file system by itself in its own way of dealing with files. Um, and you can actually see a hint at that in the naming of these system functions that have English names in in APL. So you have you have some these quad f something for what we today call component files, and then you have quad n something for what we just call normal files today, but we, in APLs tend to call them native files. So just f for file that. Whereas we today call them component files, that sounds like that is the original thing, and that's exactly what it was. There was no OS file on the early APL system. The APL system itself implemented this way of storing things in permanent storage, which was this file system of having components, numbered components that are bound together on in a certain, and those are all, a certain name. Those are all APL arrays. Yeah, so it's a time. it's a collection of APL arrays because uh, your whole operating like your your whole operating system being the APL system. Yeah, everything's so, so and there was no there's no directory structure, and uh, so it was just there was the name of a file, and then it had components. Yeah, and I suppose as well that's better if if you're doing like kind of kind of the old style, um, kind of reel to reel tape where it's it's. You don't want to be have to jump around 
because it's going to be really slow to do access. You want to just read it in one chunk. Um. Well, use a chunk at a time. Yeah, one but it, at a time, yeah. it is more more just thinking about the seek time. And yeah, I'm not sure how they. Well, the I don't know how it was implemented. Um. I suppose there was some kind of like file location table, that, yeah. and then it had to spool over there to to fetch those. Um, but and the, there wasn't the concept of a plain text file as we have today. It's the most fundamental type of file didn't exist. There was nothing you could do but to store an APL array in, as a component um, in in such a file, and that actually has um, performance uh, implications, good performance implications, even today. Whereas a text file could just be plain text in some kind of encoding. An array that's in memory has a bunch of meta information, and especially an APL array that has to have a shape and type and so on. And the way these files work today is that you just have a memory dump of that segment of memory stored in the file that makes them super fast. There's, there can be nothing faster for permanent storage than literally reading what's in memory and dumping it to disk. And the other way around, reading is just literally taking what's on disk and put it, writing it into memory. And that's it. Now you've got your data there. So, and, and, and so I think that the terminology they came up with at the time to tie a file, they also, I think that, that shows better than the file handle that it belongs to me now. You can't go and change it because that will create all kinds of issues. So I've tied it up and then I can untie it. So it's almost like... Yeah, I was also thinking about it. handles like... How do you unhandle? Un yeah, it's, it's then many people like can, grabbed, can, can grab onto the same one, which is such a thing as a shared tie. Yeah. Um, but I, I like the terminology tying and then the file handle in APL a, a tie is just uh, another array which is just a number everything in APL is an, is an array and we, we use often numbers as um, storage device for various types that would otherwise have their own separate data type in other languages so there are very few types in APL and so a tie number is just an integer, just a number, um, and you can you can today you can also allocate them. You say, okay, uh, give me a tie number for this one, and you you get number forty five, and you just, you keep that around in a variable, and then you untie it at the end, number forty five. You don't actually need to know what it is, but it is just a number, and potentially you could do math on these numbers. <laughs> yeah, you can yeah. say I, I I want five contiguous files. So you go. Yeah, you can look for, yeah, you can certainly, you can ask the system, what are the currently used tie numbers? And then you can find the gap such that you have contiguous tie numbers and use those. Um, today, there's, uh, you can give a zero to a, to quad N tie or quad F tie, and, and it will auto allocate your number. But I remember when I was little, you couldn't do that. I'm not sure why they didn't have that functionality. But the way you would do it is you would ask the system, what are the current tie numbers, quad n nums or quad f nums? And then you would write a little bit of math to figure out what is the first number that's available. 
the the lazy one is just max number plus one but then as you as the system chugs on you get larger and larger numbers really you want to find the first number that's not there yeah which is Sorry. Yeah, how how internally because I, I was saying richard is going to see he was fixing something there but picking picking the the first number it, it it kind of it goes through in marks and then does aware effectively aware on the not of i think it's kind of iota without and then do aware yeah you can do that although that's possibly wasteful to do that well if you've only or maybe it was one of the end files where you you've only got 255 or 256. Oh, really? There's a limit to that? Yeah, yeah. I didn't even know that. Yeah, then yeah. it doesn't matter. I was thinking if you've got like a time number of several thousand. No, no, no. It, it's it's I think it's five twelve for native uh, for uh, f file f nums and two five six for n n nums. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Learned something today. Probably also was... depends on the exact APL system. Yeah, well, that that's ours as, as I'm aware of it, and probably others were just like, will bump the arrays. It's it, it's because you, you need the metadata because because it it's not just APL. It's APL's got to the interpreter's got to live with all the other systems. Yeah, so it, it it's got to maintain all, all the information about the files it's got to open, and there's only a limited buffer we've we've allocated. Huh, interesting. So that's file ties. Um, and... That's a kind of, I think it's funny that that's a kind of abstraction over what, when we were reading about, I can't remember whether it was um, a common language for hardware, software applications, or mm -hmm. description of mm -hmm. finance, sequential processes. Some of these early sort of pre-APL Iverson papers. Um, they describes files and accesses and, and accessing them, but really it's like using um, encode and decode, which had like a shorthand for base two, like the default. Yeah, yeah Monadic argument. Jay's got that still, hasn't it? Or... Man, yeah, Monadic. Monadic encode yeah, and decode. Have a, a two on the left. Basically. And that was used for accessing, literally accessing bits in in memory yeah and almost a more direct uh thing you're talking about um expressing the access to a new tie number in terms of apl primitives doing and not in a way which is quite funny i'm really curious why they, to that. why do they drop the monetic forms of encode and decode when they linearized apl from ivers annotation into what we know as apl yeah because i'm really curious reading yesterday saying what's well, kind of building building the, the golf ball, but, but I don't know if, have you explained that previously? Probably no. should explain the golf ball, even if we have. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. So how I, I've seen kind of history, it, it's when you're old printers, um, sort of like a typewriter had the letters in metal. And one way of doing it is rather than having um, a peg for each letter, you have a single uh, sphere with all the various letters stuck on it and if you want to print a letter say f you've got to rotate so you ball there and say it's there and you've got to rotate and whack and it, <laughs> it finds where the f is and it turns and it hits it on the paper um mm. and so when you were doing it for apl they had to work out um go in 
as part of a linearization process, it seems, it, um, going, oh, we've got this cool paper notation. How do we get a computer to it? We've got to be able to type it. Um, and as part of that, they mentioned that they're thinking about every symbol and every symbol having to have a monadic and a dyadic purely because they wanted to make sure that every character they managed to fit on the printing element was useful. And it seemed as well that was where reshape comes from as a yeah dyadic, although well reshape came from making thinking how can we make use of the dyadic form of the shape function um but but that still doesn't really explain it that same symbol the yeah. uh, uh the decode symbol no no it, it it's it's odd that they haven't done that yeah 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 yeah, the, the decode symbol was already there in Iverson notation, monadically and dyadically, and, and monadically is just binary decoding, and and uh, and dyadic was with any custom base. And then they added so. the encode for the, the other direction, which makes sense, and turned it upside down, and then removed the monadic form. Yeah, Maybe they... Yeah. It's so much I wonder if, like, early days they're doing so much hardware systems design, like, it made sense to have a shorthand for base 2 stuff, but then in the general applications that it found itself in, maybe people don't do so much converting base 2 that it didn't seem worth it. But again, it didn't seem like much to have... It seems like so little to just include the the, the the monadic form when they didn't even replace it with something else. It wasn't like the monadic form of uh, the encode and decode symbols, up tack and down tack, became something else, did they? Well, they were just outright lost. So yeah, yeah it just seemed yeah, odd. That's what I, I was just checking. This, in, in most APL systems today, they, I had to think for a minute strictly, as well. <laughs> strictly dyadic functions. By the way, yeah. those encode and decode are interesting names. Speaking of this terminology, and a lot of people seem to have problems remembering. I think there was uh, what, what the name Mike, Michael Higginson when he yes. in his yes. uh, contest yeah. uh, although, although... talk was saying, I remembered that I had to use encode and decode. I remembered that's what they were called because I could always remember that I could never remember which one was which. Yeah, really? although, um, it's interesting because I, I sat next to next to Ray Cannon when um, I think is that the surname Ray? Yeah, yeah, yeah. well. <laughs> if, if it's Ray Cannon you're talking about, then yes, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, the old, old chap who, who presented. Um, oh yeah. no, that's uh, you're, you're probably no, the uh, Ray, guy, Pol Ray Polivka, yeah, Polivka, yes, Ray Cannon's so. another guy who does uh, simulations of ants and cool Mandelbrot, yes, uh, images on, yeah, but Facebook, um, at least might be on Instagram as well. Oh, TikTok, Ray Cannon's on TikTok, really, yeah, for the if you're a if you're a Gen Z kid listening to this, uh, check out Ray Cannon's trippy visualizations written in APL on TikTok. So and and, uh, and Ray, Ray Polivka. Sorry, Ray, you were talking. Oh. Yeah, Ray, Ray Polivka writes a book about uh, they're teaching APL every couple of decades. And, and it's worth shouting that one out because he is yeah. um, keen for feedback on the current draft of his book, Ray Polivka. Who is the Ray you were talking about, Silas? Yes. Uh, and that's on AP, APLclass.com forward slash book. Yeah, we'll leave a link in the show notes. Yeah, but he, he was saying they were... I can't remember what they... They weren't originally Encode and Decode. They had some other nicer name. I, I, 
I, I can't remember what he said they were. But you know, I do remember seeing. Oh, I've got one of the PDFs, the old papers. Don't 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 pause for my account. I'll keep scrolling to see if it's mentioned by name. But I know that the symbols are used. Um, and and but, wait, what, the, whatever... the old papers, you mean? Yeah. The the old ones, I think, only had uh, the the base evaluation. So that's decode and no encode, strangely enough. But it's the question I've got is whether they were called, whether they were referred to as that. Because actually this oh. leads in nicely, I was going to ask about. You, you talked about a sort of system thing. System things are funky in APL because some, in some sense they're not considered part of this like core notation. Like we said, in these early papers, they kind of, they use the core notation to describe operations on on the computer system, but now there's like these abstractions on top, the, the quad functions, the system functions that start with this rectangle and then actually have a name. And they have more of a flavor of like a conventional language, only in the sense that it's named functions that take some arguments. They still have this APL idiosyncratic flavor of the arguments are a little bit <laughs> Uh, obscure and you have to like always refer to the documentation to know what's what and in what order to give it and what this number means. But they follow APL syntax. They well, yes. yes, but you can't really chain them. And well, you can a bit, but you, but like you're less, you're less often see them chained together in these sort of com compositionally styles. You you do. I've seen you do it sometimes, Adam. To be fair. But in a lot of uh, a lot of APLs don't don't do it that way. They'll they'll sort of wrap their use of a system function in a utility that that feels a bit more conventional uh, in its flavor. You know, they like especially for things like this. If it's coming back to the file ties, I need to tie a file and and read it. Exactly. Then, they'll they'll write a function it. called read text, and what and you know this is before quad and get or something, and then it will tie a file and then it will read the the data as uh text data and then it'll untie the file and then that's the you know I, the I will chain those together oh. you can even make a tacit function using those yeah well, exactly I, I you'll do yeah. that i'm saying i'm saying a lot of people <laughs> yeah. don't and i feel like i've seen one you had that dumb uh, about putting the um the i i think it was a F tie or a tie of some form and kind of next to um and doing kind of left tack that and then so yeah um, so if you if you tie a file then using quad n tie that so then you take it actually takes the file name on the left and then a tie number on the right so often i will bind a zero as fixed right argument to to that that so that it auto generates a tie number, that's just one that's available. So that is a derived monadic function. So the argument is going to the overall argument is going to be the file name, and I'm applying this derived monadic function of quad n tie jot zero or bind zero on that that returns the file tie number, and then I want to get the data out before it's untied, the order is important here. And there we need to supply a quad n read with a, a couple of things. So we need to know first the tie number and then the conversion code, which is uh, the how we are to interpret the actual bits that are in the file. 
which is often something like 80 or 83. That's for uh, just single byte characters or uh, single byte integers. And then we need to say how many we want to read. And that's often all of them. So that's a special code, negative one. And then where we start, which is uh, at position zero, that's optional. Um, so then I will I will concatenate to the result of the entire the conversion code and the uh, the count that gives me a three element vector. Throw that at quad and read, which then returns the actual data from the file. And then I want to to take the so so this is a, a kind of and a top right. We have quad and read atop concatenate with conversion code and, and count. Mm -hmm. And that is being applied to the time number we got out from, from the end tie. Then I, I also want afterwards to do something separately, which is untied, quote, and untie. And then I want to discard the result of Quote and untie because it's not a, not that interesting. Uh, it's the tie number of the file actually being untied, which is going to be my file. And I want to return the result of the end read. It might not sound like it, but that's a fork. There are two functions I want to apply to the tie number. I want to apply first the end read on the concatenation with the other parts of argument to the end read. And I want to apply the untie. And then the function I want to apply between the results is the one that just selects the, the red bytes. So that means the middle time of the fork is a right tag. It's important that I can't swap the two because the right side of a fork is evaluated before the left side of a fork and I cannot uh, untie first and then read and it's too late. Is that by implementation sort of happens to be how it is or is that defined in the right. in the spec for a fork? I don't know if they even... I think in principle they could be... No, but the APL in, prin in principle goes from right to left. Ah, yeah, true. So it would make sense so, to, for it to go that way. And, yeah. and the binding of forks as well is from right to left. You must evaluate or group together the functions in a long train and, and evaluate on the right before you go further to the left. So it makes sense that the right time is yeah. evaluated before the you, left. You might have a fork atop or something. Yeah, it's... yeah, and you, so that, yeah. that makes sense. So, so then you, so you could write it like that. So, if I, if I am not making any mistakes, uh, then the whole, so it'll be a fork atop the end tie, and so, and the whole thing will then, so the fork is going to be quad n untie, right tack, quad n read atop, concatenate, bind, uh negative uh oh sorry it was first going to be uh say 80 and then negative one and then that whole fork so we need parentheses around that uh and on its right so it takes this argument the result of quad anti bind zero because because we want zero as right argument but we want the actual outer 
uh, argument to be the uh, the file name. So this is a whole tested construct here. We got an atop of a fork and a and and the derived function from uh, from bind using the system functions. I think it works fine. Some people frown on that, say you don't do that with system functions. But I think it's part of the beauty of APL that even such things as system functions use this regular syntax. And so when people complain, oh, the syntax of APL is so complicated, who can understand that kind of thing? No, no, the, the syntax of APL is really, really simple. It's just this this rule set of monadic dialectic functions, and then you've got operators that take them, that's it. Everything falls into those categories, even the system functions. Yeah, and, and then the only confusion I've seen is with, with trains and, and just kind of the ordering, but then that's just, it's it's function application. It's just... Yeah, it's a, it's a type of function composition before yeah, you apply uses... them. That uses the syntax, the syntax of ju juxtaposition of functions. That's right, yeah. yeah, I wanted to come back to because I just found a bit in one of these. This is a 1960 description of finite sequential processes, and as far as I can see, I haven't comprehensively analysed the text. I've just found a paragraph where it's mentioned. He doesn't seem to call. He calls very few of these things anything at all specifically. In the in the prose, he sort of. He uses the symbols, the notation, to express the concepts, but then describes them in English, but doesn't sort of name things. So here he says the base B value of the vector X is denoted by B up tack X. And that's it. It doesn't go like the function, you know, we would no. say like the function uh, decode and then put maybe the symbol in parentheses, blah, 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 blah. Because then I guess we want to speak about it with one another in a sort of compact way. But he doesn't seem to do this uh, at all in these early papers. He just sort of uses the notation, describes what the, the concept is. Um, so I also want to ask you, Silas, about because APL has a fair number of like concepts which are not, okay, maybe not anymore, especially unique to APL, but like used in a uniquely APL-ish flavor and like it has this whole multi-dimensional arrays are so central so there's a whole bunch of concepts around that that maybe aren't in other places but also there are a lot of concepts that are obviously identical to similar ones in the rest of uh, conventional programming languages and computer science yeah. and I guess we can go either way with this but like terminology that you found odd uh or confuse you because um you know it's just uh yeah, you can go either way either it's the same concept as something you've already knew a bit like the ties and the handles you're saying but yep. it's um but it's called something different in apl or something that's called something different because it is something different i don't know right. um i suppose yeah a lot a lot of the simple glyphs and like so you just look at language well kind of the first chunk they're they're all same like the assignment took a moment to get used to but that's just okay you you've got an arrow now instead of an equals or kind of equals colon this yeah and there are a couple of people do that now there's like in r they use that but you have to write the arrow as a uh a less than hyphen <laughs> yeah and i i feel like doing a right arrow um Haskell's got that when you're 
doing um, landers. Oh yeah, I think it's an arrow. I'm, well, I'm even the... yeah, it's like an equals greater than. Yeah, JavaScript does this as well for yep. for arrow functions, but but that's not it's an not assignment. That's that's a no. showing a function from this to that, right? Yeah, yeah, no, no. I, I was meaning more, more just, but it's a different syntax. But it, it it's a s simple idea. Yes, right. The yeah. ones, ones that initially confused me is kind of is. I, I think the the set ones did a, a bit just because they're not pure sets, and so I kind of uh, right, yeah. But we 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 never really call them set functions in API. We we call them by names. Well, uh, people sadly, Adam, you and I have definitely <laughs> called them set functions when we yeah. referred to them in yeah, we, in some have, stuff. But, but I think they're not like officially that. group no, like officially that. But, but, but the names of them imply set functionality. Yeah, I'm the intersection. And they look the same as well. Like, they look oh, the yes. same. Yeah. We, but they're more like multisets then. Yeah, but you, you've got to... Not really either. <laughs> you've got to notice that. Um, I know this is, this is something you've got with select and stuff, but in kind of doing the indexing and, and kind of knowing when do I need, like, because I've been doing square bracket indexing recently hmm. uh, and kind of doing when when do I need... A, a semicolon on the end or when do I not and kind of things there um surprised me um and and just trying to remember like uh, less so now but more trying to use squads uh, and it was kind of having to you, you've got to really enclose and it's like okay that's a bit odd but well we, we had a previous episode about this yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> no I know I, I know there's things but it, it's just it was a difficult thing initially. Um, but was the terminology difficult, or it was just how exactly the primitives were? No, it, it it was more just just how to do it. Um, whereas, and and kind of and a, just a more functional way of doing it, because I'd only ever really seen the square brackets where it's going like you're doing yeah. you're indexing by that. I I find when I teach people that they they do struggle somewhat with the terminology. And that's somewhat indicative of uh, the nature of APL as well. A lot of people will not readily accept that the number 42 is an array. Yes, that, that still trips me up. I'm going to have to remember that a number's still an array. It's just one with no shape or anything. <laughs> well, it has a shape. Uh, yeah. It has a shape, but the shape is yes, empty. Yes, yes. <laughs> So, so yes. this is maybe something we can we can go into a bit. I mean, that everything in APL is an array. It's not really true because functions are not arrays. Um, but but all data, I'd like to say, is stored in arrays, even if it's just a number or a letter. Um, and even actually, if it's a dictionary namespace, it's also just an array. And they all have this uniform way of of, of behaving. But people get tripped up on the terminology. We didn't need to call them array. We could call them whatever data stuff that you work on. But every array has a shape. Every array has a a rank. And these are maybe words that can confuse people if we use them slightly differently than than others do. I think though, um, 
I might pull up on namespace because really it's like the reference is a scalar, but the place where the stuff lives, I feel like is somewhere is something else, mm. you know? Yeah. And that's well, only that, because it has like, the reference semantics that are yeah. um, unusual so, in APL. Yes. And, well, and but that, that didn't need to be, even if you had a dictionary type that didn't have reference semantics, it was just passed by value. It would, what kind of beast would it be? Would it still be a scalar? Well, I'm saying that the, the thing that is a scalar is the reference oh, to the, the namespace. It is not. But not the value of the namespace itself. Yeah, I think it's a fairly important distinction when you're learning those concepts. It's what's the what's confusing. the length of of a of a dictionary of things? Yeah, Num exactly. number of entries, or it's just <laughs> it's just one. That's just that one dictionary. We actually have it. I think it's maybe one of the rarest known functions in in Dialog APL is monadic squad. Oh yeah, no one knows what that is. <laughs> oh it, yeah, it's materialized, isn't it? It's That's what it's called. <laughs> he knows the well, name it, of it. You know what it does? <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's the object stuff. It's like going, give me an array from this object, isn't it, or, or something yeah, like. Yeah. So so if you have this object which is an array, but it's a scalar, and it is a collection type object, or at least it has a a property that the default property, which is a collection of things. So classically people in some other language in APL will create an array object, a list object, and then, and they will maybe append elements to it. Um, whereas in APL that's, that's very fundamental. That's in the nature of the array itself, but we do have object oriented programming as well. And we do have interfaces to languages where this is a, a thing. So for example, um, we have tight integration with .NET, and the .NET has the concept of collections. Um, and then materialize will materialize out the elements that constitute this otherwise scalar collection. So if, if you've got a, if you create an array in .NET, and then you do materialize on that name, it then gives you get, an It will give you an, an, an array back where every element of the array is a .NET array element, whatever the type is that this array oh, is made okay. of. So, so it doesn't it doesn't convert everything to an APL stuff. Well, if it's types that are otherwise automatically converted numbers, text, yeah. whatever, um, then yeah, I'm not even sure text would do that. Probably the string would get string objects. And if you have a collection of strings, then you get a, an array. So that collection itself is scalar from APL's perspective. But if you materialize it, you you get an APL array of .NET string objects instead. And then, uh, plus, uh, I don't think strings are considered iterable, um, but. In, in .NET or? Yeah. So otherwise you should be able to materialize those again and then get out yeah. characters. Can, and... you not, can you not iterate over a string? And you probably, I, I... Need to, you probably need to convert it to an array for, of characters first. Okay. But it doesn't really matter. That's this is the concept of uh, of materialize. It's only really there for everything else in the APL. In the APL itself, core APL, you don't really need it. Although you can create objects with a default property, and then materialize will exchange the scalar object for and for whatever array the default property is, which could be an array that has 
dimensions or not. It could just be a scalar value um, as well. But the con I mentioned before, shape. Every array has shape, and we take that for granted. It's so fundamental for APLers that every array has a shape. But what does that even mean? Notice this is not the count. It's not the length. If you have a matrix with three rows and two columns, what? then it's shape. Yeah, because it's number of dimensions. That's the rank. Shape is the collection of lengths along each axis. And, and data arrays are... Uh, data elements stored along zero or more axes. Right? So zero or more. So that means that if you have a scalar, or which could be a simple scalar, like just a number, there are no axes. So then all the data, which is the, the number itself, is stored along these zero or more axes, in this case zero. And that also means you need that many indices to pinpoint any particular element and which means that the access to individual elements is immediate no matter the dimensionality of the array and here we have a big difference from languages that just use lists of lists so they might say oh well we have matrices we have a list of lists but it's not really the same firstly if you try to take the shape or they would say the length of that you just get the number of rows or number of columns if they are they use a transposed representation. Some languages do that. Um, but the shape, it, it's kind of pervading the whole thing, saying along each axis, what are the lengths? Um, and then you can directly go in and address a single element by giving indices, all the indices along all the dimensions. And if you try to... Um, to map over an array, then you it doesn't matter how many dimensions it has, it's still direct mapping. So imagine this in, say, JavaScript. You have, you have a, a list of lists. And then you try to apply a function. So you, you do a map on that. Then you will, the argument given to the function every time around is a whole list. You need to map, map. So you would have to map, just... map, right? And But then if you have a three-dimensional array, you have to map, map, map. And if you have an n-dimensional array, you don't know how many dimensions it is by the time it comes in, it gets really complicated. You probably want to do a recursive solution. Whereas in APL, all the elements along all, any dimensions have the same kind of status. They're all immediately visible from the surface, and addressable from the surface. So I think the, con the whole concept of shape and what we call shape is, is something that can be confusing to people. And then the length of the shape is the rank, which I think corresponds exactly to tensor rank in mathematics. It's just a number of dimensions. Yeah. I, I have found occasionally with shape is remembering which way around. Like if I'm doing a reshape of a matrix and to remember which ones were columns and which ones were rows. Oh, really? Mm. Yeah. So, and, and, and if you do more dimensions, even, even more, um, yeah, layers, rows, columns. Uh, no, see, I mean, I've seen in some. I think the the Zark tutor has got this where, like, they they have a whole section where teaching you to reduce along different dimensions. But really, it's again attaching. You basically are, 
are attaching real world concepts to to the dimensions you know you're saying like um these these are the locations and these are the days and these are yeah, the products yeah. that kind of thing products locations days is pretty common yeah Things but just that could... but, but that wasn't Silas's problem the problem is just which which order do the dimensions come in well no what i'm saying is like a, for, for in some contexts i think people largely ignore the direction right and they're just talking about the concept it's true uh, when you're like learning you're just playing with like you visualize it then you need the direction i'm saying that some people avoid that by just not thinking of them as like a a cube shaped thing at all or a hypercube thing they just think of them as like i don't even know what just like a a filing mechanism or a you know well, you, you, you were saying, Rich, when trying to explain doing the enclosed with axes, kind of the whole style, rather than doing a hypercube idea of an array. Kind of... Oh, yeah. So okay. some time ago, Silas was asking me about how enclosed with, just with multiple axes. Yeah. Works. <laughs> and I uh, had to think for a minute, but then it was like, because I, I think a lot of early APLs did think a lot in terms of acting along these dimensions whereas um the leading axis approach is to think in terms of like rank n cells these subarrays um and you can express enclosive so axis is uh left shoe and then square brackets next to it and then you put in the axes along which to enclose but in there is you know and then i start to explain it in terms of of enclose rank something and the uh, dyadic transpose yeah which is um sort of i don't know it's again it's hard to say if it's a more fundamental way to express it like i said like we've been talking about a lot of the early apl concepts like I guess were natural to think about in that way. Um, but then when you try to put a kind of framework of uniformity across the whole language, it turns out it feels like actually they're more like ad hoc definitions to things. Whereas like rank operators are uniform, it acts the same way for all the functions on all arrays uh, and dyadic transpose too. Whereas you have to kind of, well, when you, when you've learned APL like that, you, uh, with leading axis theory sort of in the forefront, you have to bend your mind a little to, to understand the axis way, but I must, I'm sure I'm sort of imagining, but I'm sure that it must be more natural for a lot of people who learned APL before to think in terms of, well, you just want to sort of grab all the stuff down this axis and box it together and then when you put two axes in you just want to grab all the stuff down this side and along this way and they're th you know thinking in terms of like and i, I saw something really interesting shapes. i was in, in the, the the apl germany spring meetup um yeah. and somebody who's a regular there is called Jacob Brickman, he showed me a, a regular operator, so not special syntax, um, and a an axis 
operator, not a rank operator. Ooh. And and he's he sold it as it can do everything that you can do with the square brackets, but the square brackets, square bracket axis is inconsistent. Right? You cannot oh, write yeah. an operator. We have this principle. You can't write an operator that, that does the square bracket axis thing because it's just ad hoc where well, you can write it, but you have to look at the operand. You can't, there's no general stating of it. Yeah, whereas rank it's I want to do rank down is, to is uniform. Level. So he had an operator that does exactly that. And I was like, wait, that's impossible. That can't be done. And but what what is happening there is that his his operator took a multi arg uh, element axis and um, more than what you have with the square bracket axis. His his point was that there exists an an operand to his operator such that it matches the behavior of the square bracket axis operator. Oh, but you have to provide. You have to provide more, more information. information. So so if you have a two in the square brackets for some function, that corresponds to a two in his operator in one of these slots. And the other oh. slots, depending on the particular function, are implied by that function. But you could state them explicitly too. Mm. Okay. Um, that meant everything was very verbose and, and, and kind of clunky to use because <laughs> you always have to spell these things out. But I thought it was interesting that you have he's kind of unified everything yeah. like that. And the, the way it, it worked is you could actually think of it like that, that you, it's a mapping. He's saying, I want, I want, so you have one argument that's specifying uh, what axis the, um, the function is being applied to and, and where the, the result goes into the result, where the result of those applications go in to the final result. So, um, so you could, you could kind of see how this would work. So let's say we have a reduction with that axis. We can see that, well, we, we split up. So it's really just an enclosing along these axis and then applying within each. And then we need to do a mix of putting them together again or not. Okay. Right? So we just specify exactly where do you, where does the function go and do in each? What, what is the collection of items that we're doing the each on? And then what do we do with the result? Do we assemble it together again? Or do we join axes and so on? So it, it's, I, for him, it seemed that it's easier to think about everything in these terms. And, and it, actually is more flexible than the rank operator because you don't need to do the transpose it's 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 yeah, packaging it's yeah. yeah it's packaging the rank application and the static transposing before and after into a single package so you could actually think of it like this right you can do anything is the idea by doing a dynamic transpose function application using rank and a dyadic transpose. Yeah. Okay. So the first dyadic transpose, you just need to supply a vector of numbers. That's the argument to the transpose. Then the rank application of the function, you need to apply the function and the rank specification, which could be uh, two elements. 
at, at most. I mean, it could be three if you want to make it ambivalent. It doesn't really matter. And then you possibly need to do a a uh, direct transpose again, which is another vector. So that means that three simple vectors, numeric vectors, and a function is actually enough to do any kind of function application. Right? Yes. On on any, yeah, with like some structural bent. Yeah, you the yeah. transpose left argument, rank yeah, operator right operand, and the, the transpose, transpose left argument. The transpose is to do the move everything into position. So yeah, can... and then move it back again to where you want it to go. The the last transpose may just be a, um, a one, two, three transpose, which doesn't do anything, right? The first one could also be that, yeah. but that's the no up argument. Yeah. So that means we can create a, uh, a dyadic operator, which takes a function on the left and a three element vector of vectors as right operand. And all it does is rearrange the right operand. So one element becomes the left argument to a transpose. The second, uh, the, the middle element becomes the uh, the operand to uh, to a rank operator with that, the function operand. And then the left uh, element becomes the left argument to the dyadic transpose. And now you've got a single operator that can do everything <laughs> that that uh, the bracket axis can well, do. Well, I assume this guy's thing is a little bit more elegant than that, was it? Well, that's basically what it does. Well, no, that's what it does, but I mean in terms of actually how you use it, because that's... He didn't use the rank operator in its definition. He just... But you can define the rank operator in terms of uh, each uh, and an enclosed with, with uh, regular access, of course. Right, right, right. But, but that's... No, uh, but did you have idea. to supply... You didn't have to supply the... Like he's, not, he's not thinking about it in terms of transposes. But what what information did you actually have to supply? That's to... basically what you had to supply. Oh, right. <laughs> that, that, is, okay. that is all the information necessary, right? You, you're saying... No, I know that. I was wondering yeah. if the, the whole point of... And this is how I've started to think of bracket axis as almost like a syntactic sugar over those cons... Over that yeah. idea, right? It's like instead of having to explicitly rewrite my two transposes before and after, I can just say, we'll do this along this axis or these axes with the numbers swapped over means you get a reversal of the order on, on top of that, whatever but, you like. But the problem is that, that these transposes are implied by the function symbol in the bracket axis. And the bracket axis has a lookup table that says, oh, okay, we're doing this function today. Let's it, it, It's more the other way stuff. around that the function goes, oh, I've got axis, so I need to do it that way. No, mm. that, that's the implementer speaking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And not from, not from the APLs perspective, right? The, that, yeah, yeah. The but, APL uh, sees square brackets attached to a function and goes, yeah. that's the ax the bracket axis operator. Yeah. It's not really an operator, though. <laughs> <laughs> we know, we know. <laughs> that's good. But, but, but really, that means it's it, you didn't have to have a special syntax for the axis. You could instead of a rank operator, you could have a an axis operator. It certainly is possible. Um, yeah, right. And, and then sometimes just... one is the most convenient to use, and sometimes another one is most convenient to use. Um, and 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 Jacob Brickman was actually in favor of having both. He says you would like to see us adding the the axis operator, but not don't remove rank. It's it's fine for the things where it's it's good to use. Did what what did he think of having as yeah, having having access operator as it as it is as square brackets or, or no no so I, yeah I asked about he, that. Mean, he means to no, have an ex 
Yeah, there's no reason to have it be special syntax. There's yeah, no, yeah. no, no. That's what his argument is. Yeah. I was thinking, did did he have an idea for a glyph? Or, or was oh, it? <laughs> I, I don't, I don't remember him mentioning what. Glyph oh, that's an be. interesting one. What are we going to use for? Because you've already taken uh, over for depth, which is the nested analogy to rank, and then this is like we're set, we're comparing this to rank because it's uh but it's, it's a rank and transpose. thing. It should. It should. Oh, yeah, that's oh, fun. Yeah, <laughs> over with a line through it. Yeah, it should be. It should be transpose diaresis, right? Yeah, transpose. So, so, circle backslash. Is that the only on triple overstrike? I think there's probably a reason why that's not. Uh, in pr in, in principle, set. it's not domino. Is actually a triple overstrike. Oh, only because divide is already <laughs> a hyphen with a colon on it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, I didn't That's think that funny. that would be a um, an overstrike. I I thought you'd have that as a character. No, I think in it, practice you, you do. do. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just concept. Or I think what is the <laughs> the primitive Unicode symbol? <laughs> what is uh, the actual? Can we compose Unicode symbols from all? Well, not Unicode. That's not fair, is it? Because that's just it, it. Doesn't even work in dialect today to overstrike and no. hyphen with a colon. But I think you could. Uh, yeah, I think the IME can do it. Yeah. Oh, um, 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 stencil, quad diamond. Yes, I've. I've... Oh, those two carrots. No, uh, and an or. I feel like yeah. there's still. Or greater than less than. Oh, the greater. I than beam. Than. I beam might work with. Overstrike. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm yeah sure but those again. are not overstrikes. The encode decode symbol up and up and down tech are not overstrikes themselves. No, no, but if you combine them to make an I beam. I feel like Jeff showed me there were yeah 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 still... there are some input methods you can do that yeah that I I feel yes. like there are some which still are there but it, it's more kind of sort of backwards compatible I think no I mean it, it, it works. I think it's like a uh, Easter egg isn't it yeah I guess so quad FMT and but not the format primitive quad FMT will evaluate certain terminal control characters including backspace so i just tried it oh, now so so quad yeah. fmt less than backspace greater than backspace quad will give you the stencil symbol <laughs> quad diamond can you then use that stencil yeah i can do an execute on it <laughs> okay. Uh, oh, actually, uh, I can't because it's a dyadic operator. But in principle, I could. I, I, I could fix a function that that uses that symbol inside. Yes, it's a proper. It's not a Wild. sequence. It becomes the proper thing. The whole thing is just gives you a single character. That's real. Uh, like that. Um, <laughs> but but idea. So, I, someone comes to you and goes, "Who would code like this?" Looking at you, people go, "Well, it could be worse. You could <laughs> you could have to code using these individual <laughs> ASCII symbols with with backspaces in." Yeah, there have been various spelling schemes for APL that for doing this kind of yeah. thing. I guess it's not. It's like one. It's like a step away from ligatures, or <laughs> in a sense, yeah, which a lot of I know. I was reading um, kind of Haskell and various things going make ligatures, so so you could have an um, less than or equal, and have put me under, put me yeah. underneath. But yeah. Yes, uh, yeah. yeah. People who use those languages sometimes like the like those in their fonts. 
to sort of group things together and make colors go. Let's just have symbols for it. It's a lie. I mean, you see one <laughs> thing, but it's not actually that thing. Yeah. Um, whatever. Whereas we we actually have the thing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. This uh, we'd argue their notation is lacking. If, yeah, if but you the, feel the, the need to do that. The difference is ability to type it easily. Duh. Yeah. Yeah. That is but, it. Uh, on the other hand, having the actual symbols next to each other, even if they visually are not are like that, that restricts the language. Right? We can't, you can't, if, if you type less than equal to mean less than or equal to, that means you can't have a monadic equal. Mm. Yes. It just yeah. doesn't work. And, and the same thing, if you have uh, less than, less than to make some left shift thing that means you can't have a monadic lesson and so on any mm. anytime you have these biglyphs like that then that that cuts down on what the meanings of the glyphs can be in fact you already have this kind of issue if you uh in in some languages if you type write minus minus so subtract the negation which should be the same thing as plus that doesn't work because you'll it has a greedy parser that uh, or tokenizer, whatever it is, that thinks that this is a decrement function. Oh, yeah. Um, so, and then you have to put a space in between them. So minus space minus, which I think is horrible that spaces between the glyphs makes a difference, but that's just me. <laughs> anyway, we should uh, we should round that, round this off. And um, it's been interesting. We went places I didn't I th didn't think we would go. <laughs> <laughs> As it usually does, yeah. Yeah, Salas, you up for joining us another time? Yeah, yeah, no, it's really interesting. Thanks for letting me join. No, thanks yeah. for, for coming. It's nice to get another uh, perspective as, as well. And even though um, I'm a much newer APLer than Adam, I feel like I have fallen into the... <laughs> uh, the mindset where it's like things that I think... Things, things that um, are probably unusual to people. I've, I've gotten used to a bit too much. So it's nice to have that perspective on as well. Okay, okay. thank you so much to both of you for participating today. And uh, thank you to our listeners. Bye. Bye.